You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Here's a Friday challenge for you. Name me a food that hasn't been hit by inflation this year. There are actually only a handful in this country, but one of them almost every Canadian buys. It's bananas. As the pandemic has raged and inflation has risen, the price per pound of bananas has actually fallen. And yet, some Canadians are purposefully, voluntarily, paying more for their bananas than they ever have before. Why is that? The answer has to do with the long and abusive history of the banana industry, the relatively small price difference these shoppers are choosing to pay, and a little-known Montreal company with a single goal, a slick marketing team, and a plan to make bananas better for everyone, from the consumer to the farmers who grow and pick them. This is the story of how bananas sold in Canada are getting a little better, bunch by bunch. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Deborah Arts is the co-founder of APID Incorporated. She is also a freelance journalist and reporter who delved into the lengthy and complex history of the banana industry in a feature for the Globe and Mail's report on Business Magazine. Hello, Deborah. Hi, how are you? I'm doing really well. Why don't you just start um, by telling me about Equifruit? Who are they? What do they do? Yeah, so... Equifruit is uh, one of those beautifully simple on paper businesses. I like to call them like a Richard Scarry company. You can understand what they do uh, at a pretty easy level. And that is they are a small Montreal company that imports bananas. They bring in bananas so those bananas can get to the store so that you and I can enjoy them. What makes them different from all the other bananas that get brought into the store? Yeah, that's where it gets a, a lot more interesting. So Equifruit deals only in fair trade bananas. And that ladder is up into what makes this company a lot more than just a simple fruit importer. They are a business that is operating on the principle that a small change in consumer behavior related to the purchase of an everyday good can make a big impact to the people who who produce it. So we'll get into the strategy behind that and, and why they do it. But first, Fair trade bananas. Why does the world need fair trade bananas? I know, you know, there have been books written about the history of the banana industry, so you don't have to explain the whole thing. But, you know, what has traditionally been wrong with the way bananas are brought here and sold? Yeah, where to begin? Um, When I started working on this story, I had kind of a notion, uh, a vague notion that the banana industry traditionally has been kind of icky and not really understanding why. And, you know, we could do like a, a whole, you know, Ken Burns style deep dive into the the history of what is wrong with that business. Ultimately, it comes down to a lot of maneuvering political and or otherwise. There's coups, the CIA, wars over land, things like that over many, many years. But it's premised on the notion that land is very, very cheap and the labor that produces uh, the bananas that we eat in Central and South America is is also very, very cheap, and there is minimal environmental oversight. Um, That's how the kind of banana industry as we know it kind of came to be many decades ago. Now, 
a lot of the major players uh, in the banana business have made a lot of strides to to improve that. It's certainly not as problematic as it perhaps once was, but it is still an industry that is premised on the fact that we in North America should pay very, very little for something, um, and that comes at the expense of the wages and compensation of the people who produce it halfway around the world. And uh, also, you know, in in many cases, traditionally with with very little oversight into things like uh, workplace safety conditions and environmental issues. To sum it up, um, you know, it's premised on a lot of of devaluation of things that we as consumers don't always think about. And it's something that's very easy not to think about when we are at the grocery store and are used to getting our bananas for a very, very cheap price. For listeners who are looking for a reference point, how different is this from uh, the rise of fair trade coffee uh, a decade or so ago? Is it kind of the same concerns about the way it's produced and the price that it goes for? It is, it is. And that's kind of a fascinating comparison as well um, because coffee is something that is, I don't want to call it a luxury item. I drink it by the gallon. So it's, you know, something that is a commodity very much in my life, but it comes at a higher price point. I mean, people don't think much about paying $14, $15, $16 for a bag of of coffee beans. The difference is, is that bananas have always been something that we have been conditioned to pay a, a lot less for. So, you know, the kind of impetus behind it in terms of you you pay more to ensure um, that the people producing it get a fairer shake it is very similar. Uh, the, the difference comes to what those actual numbers are. Let's talk about that then, because you've mentioned it a couple of times. I think in your piece, you called bananas kind of the perfect fruit. Why is that? And and what do they typically cost and how are equifruits different in terms of a price point? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Bananas are, in many ways, a very, very perfect food. They're nutritionally very strong. From a packaging point of view, amazing. They come in their own packaging. You don't have to deal with any plastic or wrappers or anything like that. Right. You know, they travel pretty well. A lot of uh, fruit grown in, in the tropics is a lot more complicated to travel. And bananas, you can pick them green and, and they get here and still taste good for uh, families especially and for a lot of people. It's a really good way to get a lot of nutrition in your grocery cart for for not a lot of money. And I, I get this. I mean, I have two children. We go through a lot of bananas. And I think, and I could ask you the same question. I'm sure you probably add them to your cart every week without even thinking about it. I do, but only for my daughter, not for me, because I actually own, oh, this is a bad time to admit this, I hate bananas. You know, that's okay. This is a, a safe space to say. You don't have to like all fruit. That's fine. In terms of the actual dollars, so I'll give you the example of uh, what I experienced going to what is admittedly not a discount grocery store. I went to my local farm boy uh, when researching this story, and there were your typical Chiquita bananas. They were 79 cents a pound. And across the aisle, the Equifruit options were $1.29 a pound. Okay. There is a fairly big difference in that price if you're looking percentage price difference. Where it gets interesting is on a few levels. First of all, that's this is kind of where we get into what I call, or I like to think about as kind of like gas station economics. So there used to be two gas stations across the road from each other, and one was always a little bit cheaper than the other by my house. And there was always a lineup for the one that was maybe, you know, a, a cent or two cheaper than the other one. And mm-hmm. the other, the, the more expensive one, you could always roll right in and get your gas. Materially, when you're buying a tank of gas, that ladders up into maybe a dollar or whatever it might be into your tank of gas. It's not a huge difference in that regard. But psychologically, for the people lining up, they're thinking, okay, this is a bargain and it's worth the time to wait in line for this because they want to get the lowest price for it. And I think there's kind of similar 
pricing imperatives at play for most people when they're buying their bananas. If you compare it to something like apples, I should preface this all saying like we're in food inflation era, we're all paying more for groceries than ever. Right. But over the past 25, 27, 30 years, the price of apples in a Canadian grocery store has gone up by almost adjusted for inflation by almost 35%. Mm-hmm. And those are usually produced a lot closer to home. And there's a lot of other reasons for that. Bananas have gone down in price relative to impl- inflation over that same time period by about 25%. So that's wow. kind of what made the the difference. This is kind of what made the story kind of come to life to me. It's like, why are they getting cheaper? And why are we so used to this, you know? How do they get cheaper over that long a time period? Is it just because uh, we're so used to, sadly, taking advantage of uh, South American conditions to keep prices low? Yeah, um, there's a few reasons for that. Partially is that. Partially it is the, you know, major conglomerates who dominate the industry have, you know, a certain buying power and a certain market share right. that they can, you know, pass that along to. But there's also kind of a... It is not, bananas are not what you would call a loss leader in the grocery space per se. The the grocery stores do make money on it, but it does tend to be an item that they showcase and that they compare. If you go into your grocery store, you'll often see that they have certain staple items in their price for it up on the wall, like your loaves of bread, your, your milk. Right, right. The price of bananas is usually there. So it is something that grocery stores like to broadcast to, to bring people in to showcase you know, the the prices that they're able to offer. And it is kind of a calling card of sorts. And there's a certain kind of competitive nature there too, is that if one's doing it, the others will follow suit as well. So that's kind of how we get there as well. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. How do you promote and market something that is sustainable, something that is better for the environment or better for workers, but is more expensive? You know, there's a bigger picture here. We're going to have to do this with a lot of goods and commodities as uh, as climate change and inflation continue to go. So how do you get a customer in a grocery store to stop, look at the Chiquitas, look at the Equitrades and decide to pay almost double for their bananas? Like, how do you do that? Yeah, and this is where we get into, you know, put our Don Draper hats on. It's a marketing challenge. Um, And any marketing challenge is about changing consumer perception and getting them to understand things and think about things in a different way, um, ideally with a um, mode to persuade them to make a, a change in purchasing choice. A lot of traditional fair trade marketing leans heavy on what I would call earnestness and guilt um, or classify as those. You know, you've all seen these, you know, this is for your good. This is eat your vegetables. It's for the good of everyone else. You're making a difference in the world. Yes. And I mean, fundamentally, the difference that they're they're selling here is that, you know, these bananas cost more because Equifruit A pays the people producing bananas more. And they also have what they call the, the fair trade social premium for every 
box that's sold, they donate US $1 that goes into the community and that goes to reinvest in safe working conditions and all sorts of sustainable production tactics. Mm -hmm. This is similar to um, what you would see in in most fair trade products. So, you know, Equifruit could have done that and could have gone in that route. Instead, they decided to go totally bold. They uh, worked with an agency based in Montreal called Tux. You know, the agency kind of came back to them and said, like, we've got some options here. We have some ideas. We could go kind of earnest. We could go bold. We could go a little bolder. Or we could go, like, boldest. And they all kind of agreed to go all in on boldest, which means they've got these bright colors uh, on their marketing and in their signs. Uh, they use these kind of meme-worthy um, kind of ways of grabbing attention, as if I can classify it as that. Give us a couple examples, if you could. Oh, one is like, they, they say, like, this is the only bananas that that sharks eat or things like that. These totally bold claims that are kind of like make you scratch your head and think, what are they talking about here? But they're bold enough that in that little one inch band that has to be on all um, the bananas that they 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 sell, it kind of catches your attention a little bit and think like, what are they talking about here? Then directs you to a QR code and you can go to their website, which is full of all sorts of stuff. On social media, they'll do things like you know, they'll they'll take a lot of popular memes and add bananas in it. They've got a really strong graphic content in that they use a stylized banana everywhere. The colors are not what you would normally associate with what I would call like the crunchy granola aisle. They're cool colors. They're very millennial friendly or, or Gen Z friendly and all those hmm. things. They kind of take a, a fun and cheeky attitude to this with, you know, a real like element of peaking curiosity, a bug of everything else. A lot of what they say doesn't have anything to do directly with the banana business, but it's enough to catch your attention and make you think, I want to learn more. And that's what's needed. They need to inject that moment of, huh, I should think about this. You know, everyone that I've spoken with since then, when they think, oh yeah, bananas, why why are they? I, I never really thought about that before, you know? And once they think about it, most people think, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it makes sense to, to, pay a small premium um, on this item if it means every, it's going to be more sustainable and, and fairer to everyone. Most people generally are in agreement with that. The problem is they haven't really been triggered to make those those connections before. So they differentiated themselves that way. And then they've also had some support from some, some retail partners that I think has helped them to kind of make the inroads that they're, they're, they're needing to make. That was going to be my next question, which is uh, how many inroads have they made? Like, do we have an idea of uh, what stores they're in, what percentage of stores, what their market share is? Like, how are they doing? Yeah, they're doing well. I mean, the the reason I was writing this story um, for ROB Magazine is that Equifruit had a spot on their annual Canada's Top Growing Companies ranking. So its sales over the last three years have more than doubled. Uh, so is is doing well in that regard. They've made some significant inroads. Um, they're in some chains. They're in, they're in Costco's, they're in Farm Boys, and in, in Sobe Banners, or Sobe's, um, the kind of full-service Sobe's Banners. Oh, okay. And uh, the most significant kind of... Uh, um, get for them, if it's fair to classify as that, is that Longo's, which is a, a chain of grocers uh, in and around the greater Toronto area, went all in on Equifruit. So you can't get non-fair trade bananas there? You can't get non-fair trade bananas, either organic or what they call conventionally grown at Longo's. And, and what's been interesting, I spoke with someone from Longo's for the article, and since they made the switch just over a year ago, um, they haven't seen any drop in demand at all, and they've had almost no complaints uh, about the change. You know, I, I think most people really didn't even notice. Is that because it's such a low price point anyway that, you know, people, and again, we want to be sensitive to the fact that everybody is having a hard time with their grocery bill these days, but it's a little bit different from 
fair trade coffee or other kind of equitable products where you really see a like, okay, this is going to cost me five or 10 bucks more. Like I really better want to. Whereas this is like, okay, it might add up to a buck or two over a banana, over a bunch of bananas. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's exactly spot on. It's, um, you know, it's not the kind of, we've all seen some increases in prices um, that are truly like sticker shock in the last couple of years. And this is not the kind of change that's going to, to materially affect a typical person's grocery bill. So I think that's part of why this is a fairly good category to, to experiment with this uh, in for, for our grocery chain. But, you know, it is it is a complicated and this, again, speaks to the marketing challenge that they're solving. This is an era of food inflation. Everyone is, you know, very attuned to paying more for food. And there are some very real problems around that. But I think it also speaks to how effective they have been, that Equifruit has been able to make these inroads during such a, a, a challenging time uh, for food inflation. So what's next for them? Obviously, continue to grow, try to get the fair trade bananas in more stores. Uh, but it's Equifruit, not Equibananas. Do they have plans for uh, another fruit beyond this? Yeah, I talked to the uh, the founder, Jenny Coleman, about this. And she, you know, said they're, they're on the radar for some other fruits. Um, you know, they have mangoes inside, I think, and, and perhaps a few others. But they still see quite a lot of upside in the banana space. First of all, you know, people just buy a lot more bananas. I mean, I'm not sure if I mentioned it too. It's by far the most popular fruit that Canadians buy. Like more than, almost, I think it's twice as many as we do apples, which Hmm. is next in line. We buy a lot of bananas. And currently in Canada, I think the fair trade market in general, not not necessarily just Equifruit, but like fair trade bananas comprise only two or three, I think it's two or 3% of all bananas sold, which is, you know, it's, there's a lot of room to grow that. There's a lot of places in the world where that's a lot higher. And I think that's kind of the model that Equifruit will be following. Um, I think in Switzerland, more than half of bananas are fair trade. In the oh, UK, wow. it's like 30%. In Germany, I think it's around 20%. And that's all the result of grocery stores doing kind of what Longos did and and, and going all in on this and making it, um, those kind of policies have been key to, to driving that. To answer your question, there's, I think, a lot of, upside and a lot of ground to gain within Canada first. And that seems to be the priority before the company starts looking into extra or different types of fruit. Did you actually do like a comparative taste test between the two kinds of bananas? I sure did. Um, Yeah. And I'll I'll confess, as I'm sitting on my counter right now, the Equifruit ones. And, you know, I I can't say there's any real difference in taste. Um, I'll tell you, I felt a lot better eating it, um, which, you know, I am someone who is very much motivated by that kind of feeling good about myself for something that is a tiny little decision. So sure. I felt pretty righteous and good for doing that. And that helped make me feel a lot better about it. But if I'm being realistic, I, I don't know that I tasted any any real difference. Um, there's no real difference in the elements of taste of this banana, other than that the people who made it got paid a lot better. And you feel better having eaten it at the end of the day. And we could all use a little bit of that sometimes, couldn't we? Indeed. Thank you so much. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you very much. Deborah Arts, writing, and the Globe and Mail's Report on Business magazine. That was The Big Story. For more from us, of course, you know to go to thebigstorypodcast.ca. And in fact, hundreds of you went there last month to fill out our listener survey. We will present some of the results from that survey to you in a bonus episode in a week or two. You should also be aware that we'll be implementing just a few changes to this program. Nothing major. You all said you like us, which is great. But one of the things you asked for was a little bit more variety. 
in these outros, which is only fair. I can only say the same number and email address so many times before even I get bored. So we're looking at a few different ways to do that, including reader feedback, updates on old episodes, and maybe a few fun things tossed in once in a while. What I can promise you is we will add no more than 60 seconds to the length of each episode. We promise not to become one of those podcasts that lets the host drone on and on when the credits should be rolling and you should be moving on with your life. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. This is me ending on time. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We're off for Thanksgiving on Monday, so we'll talk Tuesday. <laughs>